I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's the Stuniverse. We're all back. 2016. We're all back. All two of us. All Everyone's in. It's a full house. <laughs> Hold on, I'll take the register. Stu. Yes. Mark. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we'll do it again at the end, see if anyone's bunked off. What's big for 2016? What's big for 2016? So we have uh, a mission launching to Mars. Europe's ExoMars spacecraft that will launch in March and that's really good we'll talk about that I'm sure um, in subsequent episodes as we get nearer to the launch because that's going to try to unlock some mysterious atmospheric signals that have been seen on Mars which could mean um, that there's microbial life there Ooh. big stuff so where, where's that flying off from? It's going from Baikonur. It's going from Russia. They're providing the launch vehicle for this one. Oh. It's a joint European and Russian mission because the Americans pulled out in 2008 because uh, they were strapped for cash. Right. Are there lots of kind of um, collaborations between... More and more these days because it's just so expensive to Is do it? this... Uh, the more they collaborate and the more um, the different countries um, work together, just the better it is. So is it going to visit the atmosphere of Mars? It's going, to, it's going to orbit and it's it's got sensors and instruments on there, so it'll be looking um, downwards. And uh, specifically, it's going to try and find uh, methane. It's going to try and look for methane. Right. So, uh, And is that because of microbes farting? Um, I don't think technically they can... But it is to do with their metabolism, yes. Right. We should, we, we should get a biologist to clarify that. Yeah, let's get a biologist. If you're a biologist and you know about microbes farting, give us a ring. That is where most of the, not microbes, but um, cows apparently, that's where a large fraction of the methane in Earth's atmosphere comes from. So what's, what's this joint mission called? ExoMars. And this is the Trace Gas Orbiter. And then in two years' time, it will be followed by the second ExoMars mission, which is a rover. So we'll land on the surface and um, go exploring uh, the surface of Mars. ExoMars. ExoMars. I know, it's good, isn't it? That's really exciting. Yeah, so that's the beginning of one mission. One other thing that's happening in 2016 is the end of a mission, the Rosetta mission to the comet Churyumov-Gerasimenko. I remember her very well. You remember? How could I forget? You still haven't said it, though. 
No. And I think the chances of me saying it are quite slim. <laughs> Go on, talk me through it. A Sorry. cherry, cherry, not cherry, no. Cherry cola. Cherry. <laughs> Come on. Churi. Churi. Yumov. Churi Yumov. Gerasimenko. Churi Yumov Gerasimenko. Look at that, like yes. an expert. Churi, I've forgotten it. <laughs> Churi, churi yum of Gerasimenko. Ta-da! Ta-da! Superb. The Rosetta mission is coming to an end. And in September, or thereabouts, they will actually try to um, land the spacecraft on the comet. So depending on who you believe, it's either a landing or a controlled crash. One, one goes up, another comes down. Some kind of conservation law right there. Yeah. How's Tim Peake? Tim Peake is very excited. He's a bit sad about David Bowie. Oh. He tweeted about that. Um, but he's very excited because on Friday, the 15th, he gets to do a spacewalk. Wow. Now, this is the one thing that he said before he launched um, that if he got the chance, he would really love to do. And it's coming up pretty quickly. Why why has it come up so quickly? Well, there's a piece of kit that they call a solar shunt unit, and it helps... um, uh, I saw one of those in the Innovations catalogue. In Maplins, down the road. (laughs) Yeah. And it guides power um, from the solar panels to the space station, and uh, that needs replacing. So it's worn out, so he's got to go out and do that. And uh, then he's going to do some cable laying, because while he's out there, he might as well do something useful. It's like he's on a YTS scheme. (laughs) It does sound a bit like that. How long will he be out there for? He's going to be out there for hours I mean, many hours, most of most of, of Friday. It's like, uh, you know, an office day, but out in space. It takes um, a couple of hours just to get into the spacesuit. <laughs> really? Yeah. You think trying to get, you know, skinny jeans on is difficult. I mean, yeah. that's nothing compared to trying it's to get into a spacesuit. <laughs> Oh, don't put yourself down. And uh, so a couple of hours just to get just, in the suit. Yeah, a couple of hours to get in the to get in the suit and make sure everything is, is you know airtight and what have you because you know that's what you want. And then I love this. Then they spend a couple of hours breathing pure oxygen. I think that's just to you know jack them up to. I was going to say, be off your face, wouldn't you? <laughs> so they can really enjoy it out there. How yeah. you doing, Tim? Still seeing the unicorn? One thing that they do do, and this is pretty cool is long experience has told um, NASA that it is useless to expect an astronaut to do anything but gibber in a kind of awestruck way when they first get out into space and see the Earth. Gibber. (laughs) So they're going to build in some time for the astronaut to just realise that they're looking, you know, there's nothing between them and space and the earth below but a sheet of, of glass in their helmet. And so they, they have some sort of awe time that they can just actually sort of float there and think, wow, I'm really here. 
and this looks pretty cool. Are they kind of hooked? Up? Can we listen to what they're saying? Or they, 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 are, they are saying that they're going to live stream it. So perhaps this will be the first time I'll hear an astronaut swear from orbit. Here's a question. Okay. A couple of people have asked me this, and I, I wasn't going to ask it, but the opportunity has arisen. Okay. Um, what happens if he needs a wee? Oh, is this, this is, isn't this amazing? This is always the question that yeah. comes up. Spacesuits are equipped with nappies. No. Yes. How did they poo? Well, just like a normal human being. <laughs> yeah, but how does gravity, the kind of lack of gravity, play a part? In ah, it? this you're 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 driving at the zero g toilet, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not alone in that. I know I'm not alone in that. <laughs> no, you're not. It's it's pretty much one of the one of the things that always comes up or, or comes out. Oh. <laughs> So, the news is full of talk of gravitational waves. The news is full of talk about gravitational waves, isn't it? Yes. No. Why? Why? Well, this is something that's that's come up a little bit on the podcast before, with the launch of the Lisa Pathfinder mission to test technology to eventually detect these things from space. And but the two bars of metal. Yes. And wibble wobble. There are also detectors on Earth. And they see slightly different um, uh, wavelengths of gravitational waves than the ones that we'd build in space. Um, the excitement is that there's been a rumour since November, I heard it first, that the American instrument may have seen something. Mm. Um, and you hear these things every now and again, and there's a big, long analysis that they have to go through um, because these detections are are incredibly uh, difficult to make mm. and there's all sorts of noise that can um, fool you into thinking that you've seen something. It seems to have just suddenly taken off um, today in the news um, because an American physicist and author called Lawrence Krauss tweeted about it and said, oh, I've had these rumours confirmed. They may have seen something. So I'm thinking he's he's had the fact that there's a rumour confirmed, <laughs> not the rumour has been confirmed into fact. Importantly, however, every now and again in the past, the management teams have injected um, false signals into the data stream to see if the analysis software and the science teams spot them. Yeah. It's just sort of tests to see if everything is working as it should do. And partly this is because the scientists involved in these detectors have been working on them for many decades now. And so the culture has always been that whatever you see on one of these detectors is just random noise. And yet now we're starting to get to the sensitivity where these gravitational waves might truly be seen and so the whole mindset of that scientific community has to change from one that you will never see anything and that we need to keep improving the equipment to we might now start to see things. And so these blind injections get put in to sort of keep them on their toes and to see if everything is working as it should do. So it could be, even if they've seen something, it could be one of these. And what happens is they do the analysis, they even write the discovery papers and, and get everything ready for the big publication and the announcement. 
and then they gather at a conference to decide exactly how to make the announcement, where to publish the papers. And the management tell them whether it's a blind injection or not, a real signal. So they've gone through this process several times now. They've rehearsed what they would do and how they would analyze and how they would announce. So it could be one of those. Now, interestingly, um, Lawrence Krauss then tweeted that he was told it wasn't a blind injection. It's not very clear to me how he can possibly know that. Um, but it, it, who knows? We wait, we wait to see. It's certainly true, as we've spoken about before, that uh, these gravitational waves are on the cusp of discovery mm. and that they really will be a whole new way of, of investigating the universe. The final big prediction verified from Einstein's general relativity. So it's a really exciting time. And again, that's why I think people are very um, anxious to jump on any idea that, that something has finally been seen. Of course. You know, the trouble is, unknown things, these particles, you know, they don't come out wearing little T-shirts with I'm a so-and-so and, you know, whatever their name is on, on them. You have to almost infer their presence. You have to dig it out of all the other random noise and all the other things that you're seeing. And so these gravitational wave detectors, the actual gravitational wave itself causes a disturbance that is a fraction of the width of an atom. <laughs> That's um, one of those crazy... It's, it's utterly mind-blowing. Yeah. A bird flying by the building has the potential to disturb the equipment more than the actual signal that you're trying to detect. I've never trusted birds. They're shockers. They know what they're doing. Alfred Hitchcock was right yeah. all those years yeah. ago, and yeah. we haven't learned. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Can I ask you a quick listener question? Please do. I say listener, it's my daughter. <laughs> Although she does listen. She does listen. And, oh, yes, I know what we've got coming up. Not in this episode, but in another episode soon. Mm -hmm. We've got a special edition of Big Fat Galactic Liar with the questions posed by a nine-year-old. Fantastic. And not even one of my children. Wouldn't that be really embarrassing if I got that wrong? Yeah. So my daughter Betty would like to know, if a quite large meteor, that's how she worded it. Good, I'm glad we're being technically accurate. If a quite large meteor hit New Zealand, would we be affected in England? Yes, we could be. 
we most definitely could be. And there are a number of ways that this could happen. So the first is that, I mean, if it truly is large enough and it hits with, with, with such a, a wallop, then the seismic waves will travel through the Earth and around the Earth. So we could feel it. Uh, the other way is that it will throw up so much material, dust, into the atmosphere that that will just be spread by the wind patterns around the globe. Mm. And if it's really large enough, then it can cause sort of the, the equivalent of a nuclear winter. So this was the idea that if you had a nuclear war, um, it would uh, all those... Uh, detonations would put enough dust up into the atmosphere that it would block the sun out and you'd have this prolonged, um, you know, artificial winter. Well, the same can happen with asteroid um, strikes. And that might be one of the things that um, helped to, to, to kill off the dinosaurs as well. When the, right. when the great big asteroid hit the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico 65 million years ago, um, it created a nuclear winter that sort of lowered the temperature of the earth and um, that put paid to the dinosaurs. They couldn't hack it. No. How they, large would a meteor have to be to cause that much damage? So for to, to do something like that, you would need a meteor that is um, a number of kilometres in diameter, um, preferably tens of kilometres in diameter. And the good news is that we're pretty certain... I mean, we're, we're quite confident, really, that there's nothing hazardous out there larger than about 10 kilometres. And the search programmes around the world are currently sort of working their way down to the kilometre-sized objects. And we're seeing nothing of that sort of dinosaur-killer civilization-threatening size that's out there um, at the moment. So sleep well tonight, listeners. It's time for Big Fat Galactic Liar quiz number four. Fourth podcast, so fourth Big Fat Galactic Liar. It would be, wouldn't it? The score is so far one to you, two to me, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that has got to change. Let's see. Stu, hit me. Big Fat Galactic Liar, fact number one. NASA has been criticised for sending obscene pictures into space. <laughs> I can't believe you just laughed like that at the at the mention of obscene pictures. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Space smut. Space smut. Um, number two. A gramophone record is the furthest artificial object from Earth. Right. I'm just decoding that in my head. So there is somewhere out in space a gramophone record is the furthest away artificially made thing that doesn't occur naturally. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Big fact galactic liar. Fact number three. NASA used a tiny artificial valve developed for heart transplants in the design of their space shuttle rocket engines. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm still giggling about number one. <laughs> oh, Mark, will you always giggle at the idea of obscene pictures? Yes, I imagine you will. By the way, for any children listening, um, when Uncle Dr. Professor Stu says, um, 
there's obscene pictures. It just means it just means naughty ones. That's all you need to know. Naughty mummy daddy ones. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that's clarifying. Yes, <laughs> naughty mummy daddy pictures. You know, like a picture of mummy and daddy stealing something from a shop or laughing at someone with a broken leg. <laughs> okay. Back so, on topic. So, fact number one, um, NASA have been criticised for um, sending obscene pictures into space. Fact number two is the gramophone record is the furthest artificial object in space, um, the furthest away from the Earth. And fact number three is NASA used a tiny little valve used in heart transplants. That's correct. In the design of their rocket. Right. I have no clue at all. I have no idea which is true. Um, I want them, I desperately want them all to be true because I like all of them. Now, so what I'm using at the moment, this is my way of, my, my means of deduction. The third one about the heart valve, you look like you were reading that. Now, I can't see your papers, but you, it did look like you were reading, but then, of course, you could have written it down yourself. I'm going to say number three is the lie because it's the most sensible-sounding one to me. I, this It doesn't make any sense at all. My reasoning's rubbish, let's face it. There's no logic at play here. But I want the other two to be true. I want the smutty <laughs> pictures one to be true. And I want the gramophone floating around in space looking for a, looking for a record player to be true. <laughs> Stu? Is that your final answer? Yeah, number three is false. You're correct. No way. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. He's in. Oh, God, he's in lap of honour now. Mm. This is what my son does when he scores a goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, what? no way. That's true. How am I doing this? How are you doing it? Yes. <laughs> oh, little, little flash of anger. <laughs> <laughs> so t- talk me through them talk then. Through them. So tell me about the smutty pictures. Uh, yes. Sorry, naughty pictures, naughty pictures. Obscene pictures. In the 1970s, NASA launched... Oh, I should have known. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> straight out of the 60s. Yeah. yeah. Um, they launched uh, two spacecraft um, called Pioneer 10 and 11, and they were to survey the outer solar system, and they were never going to return. In fact, the gravity of the large planets Jupiter and Saturn were going to give these spacecraft so much energy that they were going to be um, slung out of the solar system. So that even now they are travelling towards the stars. And Carl Sagan, the famous um, astronomer and planetary scientist, uh, he organised for special plaques to be placed on the spacecraft. And these plaques had diagrams on them uh, showing which planet the spacecraft had come from and showing a diagrammatic representation of the spacecraft and two human figures mm-hmm. next to it for, to show the size of the beings that created the uh, spacecraft. And those beings, uh, a man and a woman, um, were drawn nude Disgusting. That's what a lot of people thought. And so NASA were heavily criticised for sending obscene pictures 
into space. That true fact relates a little bit to the second one, because the next set of deep space probes, they decided instead of just putting plaques on them this time, they would actually put records on them, gold records that could be played um, by whatever alien civilization picks these things up. And they're full of the sounds of Earth. Um, They are not... And any there's not any representation of the human figures on them. Oh, seems a shame. I know. I should have stuck to their guns, really. But the, do you want to do you want to hear the music that um, that they put on them? Some of the uh, some of the examples of the music that they put on these records. Yeah, go on. Um, Bach, mm-hmm. Mozart, mm-hmm. and Chuck Berry. Well, obviously, obviously they the, uh, go together. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to those three. That's all you need to know about music. Welcome to Earth. They wanted, how's this for a pun? Um, They wanted to put Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles on there. Uh, But EMI apparently wouldn't let them because it was... Scoundrels. Something about being impossible to collect royalties from Alpha Centauri or something like that. So. Did you make that last bit up? No, I didn't, actually. It, well, there was a copyright issue that meant they couldn't put that on. I should have put that down as the big fat galactic liar. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I'll, have, I'll have forgotten my next one. <coughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll do it, it again. Time, yeah. Recycle it. <laughs> um, brilliant. I really like that. Mm. Now, and as for the third one, it's sort of good news because it, it, it was the lie, but all you need to do is turn it round to make it true. So what actually happened was that there was a doctor in America um, called um, Dr. Michael DeBakey. Hey, there's nothing funny about the name Michael DeBakey. There is something a bit funny about <laughs> Because it says DeBakey. This is, have you met my colleague, Michael DeBakey? This is my other colleague, uh, Alistair the Butchery. Come on, <laughs> being silly. Um, well, in 1984... He gave a heart transplant to a NASA engineer. And I hesitate to even say the name of this chap now, David Saucier. This is like a carry-on film, this. He's going that way. Yeah, you'll be doing your Kenneth Williams next. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. So in 1984, David Saucier had a heart transplant uh, performed by Michael DeBakey. And... They started talking because Saucia realised what was needed was a tiny pump that uh, one of the biggest problems they had in creating these things was uh, a sort of screw thread or something like that to to actually pump the blood around. Um, It would damage the blood cells, the red blood cells, and this could lead to clotting and all the rest of it. And he realised that the, the, the fuel pumps that were in, that they developed for the space shuttle um, worked in such a way um, that they wouldn't damage the blood. And they were also small enough at just uh, one or two inches in size um, that you could comfortably fit them in the chest um, of even children. And so these valves or these pumps were taken from the, uh, the space program and refined and engineered for um, heart transplants. So it's sort of true the other way around. It's true the other way around, yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Do you know what else I like? What? 3 1. <laughs> 3 1 to Mark. <laughs> yeah, this, the next one. Yeah, I'm getting you on the next one. Ooh. 
You heard it here first. If I'm not here for the next recording, you know why. <laughs> I'm in a rocket somewhere. <laughs> um, with some smutty pictures. <laughs> That's the end of another Stuniverse. It is. Done and dusted. At the end of another Stuniverse. I usually do the bit at the very end by myself, and I I think it always sounds a bit odd, because I'm not usually with you when I record it, so it always sounds odd, so I thought I'd do it now, and you can chip in. Um, Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks again for sharing the podcast with your friends and on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else. And please also, if you don't mind leaving us a quick review on iTunes, that'd be brilliant because that, that all helps to, to getting the word out about the podcast. Yeah, that's it, I suppose. Bye. That's the only thing left to say now. Oh, apart from that, the Stuniverse is a bingo production podcast produced by me, Marco Sullivan, with himself over there. Dr. Stu. Dr. Stuart Clark. Our illustrations are by Dan the Scribbler. Go to thescribbler.co.uk to see his wonderful work. And additional music in this podcast is by the lovely John Shearer. Thank you to everyone who supports us. We love you. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>